Hi, and welcome to the ACO Show. I'm Brian Chiklinski, joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Josh Israel. Hey, Josh. Hi, Brian. Glad to be doing this again. Yeah. Today, we actually are airing an episode where we handed control of the mic over to our CEO and co-founder, Dr. Farzad Mostashari. Farzad was actually talking with one of our earliest board members and funders from Venrock, Brian Roberts. So first of all, I'm a fan of having more Brian's on the show. I think it's an underrepresented group that we need to talk to more often. But I was also just really thrilled with the idea of a company pulling back the curtain a little bit on the dialogue that happens between founders and CEOs and funders and board members. There's, I think, so often that's behind a curtain, what they talk about, what they think about, how they think about the problems and the challenges of of launching and running companies. So overall, I just I feel like the conversation was incredibly illuminating on how to think through problems, how to bring long term thinking into a very intense, as, as Brian points out a couple of times, a type of place where you are focused on the problems that are facing you every moment, rather than, you know, being able to incentivize to think long term. It's just a really great and engaging conversation between the two of them. Yeah, fun to hear these two talk about about business, about how they think about problems. And a couple highlights for me, Brian had a couple of great lines in there that are probably going to stick with me that one was just his summary of the American healthcare system as, as part human right and part capitalistic. I thought that really nailed it. And then they had a discussion around second chances, around what to do mm-hmm. if a person has behaved badly in a business interaction and whether to write that person off or whether there can be growth and change. And Brian Roberts said that he believes in giving people grace in proportion to their self-awareness. Um, like that one a lot. Yeah, yeah. It was really, there are lots of nuggets in here and I know they talk for a while, so maybe we should hurry up and, and kick it over to the two experts themselves. Hi, this is Farzad Mosteshari. I'm co-founder and CEO of Alidaid. And I have the great pleasure today of having on as a guest, Brian Roberts. And Brian has been just an incredible resource to me as a first-time founder, CEO. And I thought it would be great to have a conversation with Brian that was really inspired by a dinner that we had around the JP Morgan conference where he invited a bunch of his CEOs and people who he'd known for a long time. And I kind of went around collecting kind of Brianisms, pearls of wisdom, Robert's rules, that I think are kind of some principles, not so much simple, you know, if then rules, but principles that I have taken away and other CEOs have taken away from decades of working with Brian. So I thought I'd bring Brian on the show and we could actually delve into some of those and, and, and understand better. And I think these are great, great lessons for, for both venture capital and entrepreneurship, but, but also for life. So, Brian, welcome. Welcome to the ACO show. Thanks for having me. One of the bucket list items being checked, the ACO <laughs> podcast. I'm ready. <laughs> so, Brian, the, the main thing that came out, I think, as an overriding principle, and I think it was, it was Serge from 10X Genomics who said this. He said, most decisions boil down to choosing between short-term and long-term. And it's, it's kind of frustrating, actually, but it's true. Almost every time I call you up to, to work through a problem with you, which is not that infrequent, 
you kind of, you know, kind of guide the discussion and we bounce it back and forth. And then at some point I'm like, God damn it, he did it again. This is just, it boils down to short-term versus long-term. And I, I think you basically have guided us to think, always, always, always choose the long-term decision. To talk about like, when did that start to become ingrained in you? You obviously you did a PhD in chemistry, so yeah. deferring gratification <laughs> yeah, right. came, right. the, came the, naturally the, to the, you. The two marshmallows in a month. <laughs> Test when you're five. So, yeah. so I actually think I think you're right. I think it is long term versus short term. I think it's made, I think it's made even a little trickier in in the stuff that we do, and probably it's probably true in life that usually the short term, the short term pain is tangible, and yeah. the long term payoff is ambiguous. Right. Yeah. And it's the combination of those two dimensions. That make it hard. And honestly, I think I just spent enough time. I had enough at bats kicking the can down the road and being like, holy crap, it worked out worse. Mm -hmm. Like, like, don't kick the can down the road in hopes that it's going to be any better. Because it yeah. very, very rarely magically resolves itself, right? Into like, oh my gosh, this wasn't, this wasn't an issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but you always hope that it does. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, right. That, you know? It makes it human, right? Yeah. Like, like, like we all we all like to feel good. We don't like to feel bad, and we and hope springs eternal, right? So the notion of a hundred percent surety of short term pain, both intellectually and emotionally, yeah, is something to be like. Well, I'd rather avoid it, and you know, like, and nobody likes conflict, right? Like you 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 do it because. You're like, wait, a little bit of pain now yeah. is worth it to put it, make it water under the bridge. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It is, it is one, one lesson and, and just something that I think I also liked doing with the board was really thinking about what's the, what's the question you don't want to get? Yeah. And then, right. and then absolutely. ask that question. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And, and, and you know yourself and your business and everything better than anybody else does. Right. And so you really you want to pick yourself apart. At, at more, you know, very much such that when someone else walks in the door and asks you a question, you're like, oh, I had that one nailed. Like yeah. you're not coming. You're not coming up with questions that I haven't come up with on myself. So, you know, that's a. Being truth seeking and transparent is super useful for you to be prepared You'll 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 actually sidestep a bunch of problems because you'll see them out over the horizon, right? Be like, okay, like I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get ahead of this one. Yeah. So you mentioned don't kick the can down the road, which is one of the corollaries of of Robert's rules around optimize for the long term and confront the issue, have the difficult conversation, and and get the alignment early. And what's interesting, I found in I had known you for a while, but I imagine you do this with even people who you haven't known for, you know, half a decade. So the, the first, my first, and I remember it had this such a vivid memory of as a first time founder, giving my first pitch to a VC and, and it was to Van Rock, which at the time I didn't even know how, how, you know, renowned <laughs> Van Rock was. And yeah, I was helped because the person who helped me make my first pitch deck was Bob Kocher, a partner at Minerva. 
So we came in in the morning on the Monday, we gave the pitch and then you said, come back in the afternoon. And we came back in the afternoon and, and you put a term sheet in, in front of us. And I remember you saying, look, the, I want to get alignment with you now. So we'll always be after today, we're going to be on the same side of the table. But today we are not aligned until we agree on the size of the option pool. <laughs> Do you remember? Is this a conversation you have a lot, Brian, with? Well, first. so I guess two, like early on in relationships, especially, you know, investing relationships, that that is a conversation that that happens that, that I front that I front end load mm -hmm. all the time Re for two reasons. The, the, the one that you've described is, you know, as early stage investors, you know, we there's a I try to make it a very brief time period where we're negotiating something that is that resembles a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. Right. And after that, we are on the same side of the table, completely yeah. aligned. Right. Such that there's never I actually don't these days don't worry a ton about whether I can keep my head straight about like whose interests something are in, but it's just so much easier in, from a conversation relationship perspective. If there's no specter of, Oh gee, I wonder whether someone's on my side of the table or not, et cetera. And it makes life a ton more efficient, right? You don't have dancing around issues. Like there are, there are CEOs out there who, who are like, Oh my gosh, I can't let my investors have leverage over me. So I need to raise money when I have X tens of millions of dollars in the bank. At which point, you know, you're carrying a weight of unused capital before you can make, before you yeah. can't hit miles. Having, right? let me just, let me say, having, having from, you know, you guys from a series A clearly being on our side and aligned incentives with us has been huge. For the non-VCs, non-investors, can you explain to them the way you would explain to me as the first time founder, what the heck, why, why the option pool? What does that option pool thing mean? Mm. And why does it, why, why does that become one of the first issues with sure. a first time founder? Sure. So when we, when we invest in a, in a brand new startup, right, there's generally a couple of co-founders. In Allidade's case, there was you Farzad and Matt Kendall, right? And we are investing a certain amount of money at a, at a value, that value being what is what the business is accorded at that point in time. And to be clear, way more art than science, what that value is, right? You know, it's in this case, it's you and me sitting in a little conference room being like, I don't know, maybe it should be X or maybe it should be Y, <laughs> right? I'll but, get to that. I'll get to that. <laughs> but, but, but what you, what one generally includes in that existing company value is some portion of value for the near-term employees that you will soon hire. And that's what's called an option pool. And honestly, in different situations with different founders, it comes up in different ways. But the, the, the other reason I like having these conversations very early in relationships is you really don't you really don't learn anything about anybody until there's a little stress in the system. And then you learn a lot about somebody super fast. Yeah. And, you know, in this case, the value going into the option pool is coming directly out of yours and Matt's pockets. 
the founders. The founders' pockets. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And the but then the question is like, we can argue, like, should it be 15% or 20% or 25%? None of which the exact numbers don't really matter, right? The real question is, why do you think it should be what you think it should be? And what does that mm -hmm. suggest your philosophy is yeah. around the team you're going to build? Yeah. Yeah. Are we going to be good to the people we hire? Are we going to try to, you know, find the cheapest <laughs> person we could find, right? You got yeah. it. And it comes right. out in all sorts of like, yeah. I've had conversations with founder CEOs who was somebody that we were talking to once we ended up not investing because the founder CEO was like, well, I think that my equity should be fully vested from day one. And I was like, okay, so talk to me about how you're going to go hire the next eight people into the, into the organization. And there were, at first it was, well, they're not going to know. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're going to know. Like we, we need to live our lives as though everything's out in the open. And so if they do know, they're like, well, he's like, well, I can do it. Like, but yeah. does that make it right to do? And so it's those conversations where you learn about how somebody thinks about other people, whether people put the company first or themselves first, right? And the, the bottom line is in all of these companies, if the company works out, the company is successful. The CEO, the founders do awesomely, right? Now, the hitches between day one and the outcome, founder CEOs like yourself do nothing but give. It, they give in every way, right? And that's the, that's the, that's the trade, but it's what's necessary because there yeah. are ups and downs and brick walls and stuff you got to do if you're not confidently putting the company first, knowing that you will do just fine. Yeah. Right. In the successful, not just financially, emotionally, reputationally, like the whole, you will be rewarded along every dimension. Like that's, and that's the tricky part early on in these relationships is figuring out whether the person on the other side of the table at that point in discussing the actual thinks about these things in the same way. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that the incentives alignment and another correlate, one of the things that I've, I think, learned from you, but appeals to me is not negotiating positions, not negotiating situationally. And, and definitely not if, if you feel like you got some situational leverage over someone, but, but trying to, if you trying to shift the discussion to principles, like you just did there. Right. And I remember in our, in that first meeting, you, you drew some numbers on the whiteboard and you're explaining, we're going to invest $3 million and you can, we're going to value your company, which was nothing, which was a slide deck <laughs> at $8 million. Makes us seem undervalued every day since, doesn't it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my, my first reaction was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I, like we've done nothing. And they're saying this, that they're going to put $3 million and value what we have, the nothing we have now at $8 million. But I also felt like we actually needed more than $3 million to get to, get to the next stage. Mm -hmm. and, and so as we were negotiating back and forth on the, on the option pool, 
I, I think I went up to the whiteboard and I erased what you had written. And I wrote, okay, how about you, you have plenty of money. How about you invest 5 million at a $10 million pre-valuation? And I think that's what you ended up accepting, although you didn't look very happy. When I erased. I never look happy. It's like resting unhappiness face. But again, like that whole discussion, right? That whole discussion is another question of like the numbers matter less, right? Yeah. Than than the why, right? Yeah. Like let's talk about why it'll it and it it brings up it brings forth your thinking, right? Like like how how do you think about it? Is it you just want more time and more money? Is it like I think I can do X in Y time period, and I think I need these sorts of people, and I know that's all wrong, but that feels a little bit better to me. And then it's a, okay, well, you could raise, we, you know, if the initial proposal was a $3 million, $3 million investment on an $8 million valuation, it could be $5 million on an $8 million valuation or $5 million on a $15 million value, right? And so like, where is one meeting in the middle of these things? Because the most important thing in my mind is you're really you're really testing and tiptoeing into a decade long relationship. Yeah. Right? So unlike lots of very transactional approaches to life or businesses or jobs, like that is not what this is. Yeah. Right? And so you 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 have to you have to partner up with people who who think about it as a long-term relationship, which it's not just, oh, I have to be nice, right? It's I have to be honest and I have to be transparent and I have to try and help, but I can't avoid conflict, right? Like I have to be dependable. Like it's a whole bunch of yeah. very long-term things. Yeah. I, I will say, Brian, for many of the folks in the audience, and and I think people confuse private equity, you know, later stage roll-ups or whatever with venture capital and all this, all this kind of stuff. But I don't think people understand the difference in your, again, incentive structure that makes it actually make sense for you to be long-term oriented because you're not looking for a quick flip. <laughs> you're not looking to get in at this price, get out at a higher price. You're creating something from nothing. And what really matters to you and the people, pension funds and others who invest in Venrock is the total value you're going to be creating. And you're in it for, as you said, it's been, it's going to be 10 years. Yeah. And I, you know, and, and, and we remain private and it's going to be a while longer. And that's great. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you. No, no predictions or prognostications. I bet you I am less focused on the timing of liquidity than many or most other folks sitting around the table, team, or investor side of things. Yeah, Brian, you said we went for we were going for a hike, and uh, and and Brian said I can take a nap for two years. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that it's it's thinking about that what creates the the long term value and. I think it also comes out in in business negotiations. A lot of 
and again, not something I, I'd been a, a govy, right? A bureaucrat. And I don't know, you don't have the same sort of business negotiation. So it's been a real education. And that's been something that, that I've, I've gotten advice from me on. And I remember early on, we were negotiating with a friend, right? A, a, another, actually a company that you had invested in. And you kind of said, look, I'm going to recuse myself from this discussion. But I will say, if don't worry too much about the contract terms here. If it makes sense for you to, to work together, you'll work together. And if it doesn't make sense for you to work together, if you're not going to be aligned on you adding value to them and them adding value to you, all the words on that page and that legal document aren't going to make a damn bit of difference. For sure. For sure. Yeah, completely agree. I would also tell you in, in those negotiations, like I feel like, um, I feel like a, there's, there's a zero sum thing that we, you talked about, you sort of want to avoid and do it on a principles basis. The other thing about, do, about having discussions on a principled basis is you, you don't start out with a, you don't start out with a solution and then construct mm -hmm. the data to get there, right? Like within some error bar sets, right? You can end up a bunch of different places. And the question is where and why should you end up there? which is the discussion, which again, leads you back to, is it someone you want to be in business with? Mm -hmm. Right? And we were, well, and also being clear-eyed, also being clear-eyed about putting personalities aside, just structural incentives in the system. Totally. What are the structural incentives that, that your position, my position, that my, this other company's position? I was negotiating with a health plan recently, Brian, and the, I said, look, you don't, when we add new practices, you're saying that we should just put them into the same risk pool with all the other existing practices. And I'm going to tell you that the incentive that that creates is for me to go slow in adding practices because the existing practice, I want to be good to my existing practices. The new guys are going to be earlier in the journey. They're going to dilute the, the savings. In some cases, they may completely wipe them out. And so, you know, what you should want is for me to grow faster. And our incentive together is, is therefore for you to create a separate risk pool for the, if we get a cohort of a sufficient size. For sure. Right. And, and, yeah. So, and let's, let's take that another layer, right? To, to some degree on the, on the, on sort of, you know, level one of that, what your, what your health plan partner is asking you to do is they're saying, can I free ride off of your, of your prior work and your partner's prior work? Right. And you're like, wait a second. That doesn't seem like I got to treat people fairly. Right. But your, your incentive to treat people fairly, in addition to the fact that you're a super fair person, is that Allidate's business model is based on shared excellence with your partners, right? It's, it's us taking like the lion's, lion's share of how we have any success economically at all is shared savings, is doing together what we set out to do. It's not, oh, you pay me X dollars a month or X dollars per doc or per seat or something, right? And which if you're, if the Audi business model were that, 
your thesis set with the health plan partner might be very different. Yeah. Yeah. And this is actually, this alignment, I think is one of the reasons why you, you liked the Allidate business model, which was pretty non-consensus. Non-standard. Yeah. It's, no, for sure. <laughs> right? it's, it's the combination. It's, and, and alignment, it's important that it's super, super simple. Like as, as, as the framework gets arithmetically more complex, it gets exponentially more likely to go off the rails mm-hmm. from an alignment perspective. Yeah. We split with the practices 50-50. <laughs> yes. Right? There you right. are. It's super easy. Like yeah. the messaging's not hard. Yeah. Yeah. Health plans don't pay us until we get savings. Yeah. Got it. The, the alignment piece, I think, is also why the, you know, I, I mentioned a couple of episodes ago about the Public Benefit Corporation and how fitting it was, but perhaps surprising to some people that our lead investor is the one to have said, maybe you should become a public benefit corporation where you have to consider other things other than just shareholder, me, <laughs> yes. profits and, and, and share price in, in your decisions. Talk a little bit about, about that. Like what made you think that this was the right thing to do for us? And is it the right thing to do for every one of your portfolio companies? I think it is. I think it is deeply synergistic with some business models and total window dressing for others. Yeah. Now, you know, do I think that it would be a bad thing for any business? Maybe if it was all window dressing and, you know, you like you said, I'm going to be a PBC and then, you know, went out and did evil things in the universe. Right. You know, that sort of backlash, you kind of get what you deserve. Right. The, but they're, hey, look, healthcare is, healthcare in the United States is an interesting, well, as you, as you and everybody who's in it, it knows it's a deeply flawed and complex and fragmented system. It's also, you know, it's also from an emotional perspective on all sides, you know, part human right and part capitalistic endeavor and um and how you go about again aligning yourself and giving yourself the the free the freedom to do what's right long term long term right and to me that was the interesting thing about the yeah. public benefit corporation, both generally and for you guys, right? Yeah. It felt as though like you have an employee base who is at least partially mission motivated. For sure. For sure. Right. So you have a partner base in primary care docs who are like the downtrodden, you know, individual folks in the universe, right? They are independent primary care docs. Like they had not done nothing but been beaten over the head for 50 years with people and, who had leverage over them. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And as, as much as Allidade was when we started and still is to a wonderfully large extent, a reflection of your views and character and my input and stuff as companies grow 
and get bigger. They become more institutionalized. There are more layers of people between you and the front lines. And so there's the, 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 the more you can put in place guideposts, guardrails, North Star touchstones yeah. to, to remind people again, super simply about who do we serve? Who do who we are serve? we aligned with? Yeah. You got it. In, in a time of uncertainty, which way do you choose? Yeah, that's right. Right? It's those sorts of things. And in our case, honestly, like, I think it's going to be super helpful to the business, which is great, a two super added benefit. And in, like, I think that it gives the management team and the board the freedom to think long-term. I think yeah. it will also make our partners and customers more comfortable that we're going to be around and we were independent. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. We're going to be, and, and, and we will continue the ethos with which we brought them on board. That's right. Brian, you alluded to the fact that all of us, like this, this long-term thinking, you know, not, not licking the marshmallow doesn't come naturally to humans that I think that applies to entrepreneurs. It also applies to investors. Mm -hmm. And one of the really interesting <laughs> things for me has been watching you advise us in subsequent investment rounds and how you have helped me think through the different kinds of investors there are. And there are a lot of investors who are momentum driven. Sure. Right. And one of the things that is so refreshing <laughs> about you is you don't give a hoot what other people think of, of a company, right? Like, and it is so hard as an investor, I think, not to feel like I'm going to be looked at as an idiot if no one else is willing to pay X for this and I'm willing to pay X plus whatever. Or conversely, everyone else thinks this thing is worth Y and I wouldn't pay half of that for this. Yeah. I'm right. How, how does that help you or hurt you when it comes to working with other investors long term? Yeah. It's funny. I made a call to an investor yesterday who I've known for a super long time. It's actually an early person on your cap table and hadn't spoken a while. It's like, I'm like, I'm calling you about this deal because I know even in the current market, you will be here in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And there are very few people I know that I have that sort of confidence that they'll be here in 10 years, right? So it's, it's actually interesting because, you know, we're coming out of a market where, where there was so much money around, right? There was, it was very difficult to differentiate. There's very little signal to noise, like everything, mm -hmm. you know, 90% of people thought they were in the top 10% across, yeah. across everything, across investors, across companies, you know, <laughs> everywhere under the, everywhere under the sun. And, and so everybody was go, 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 right? So consensus was, was all in. Today, consensus is pretty much all out. Risk off. Yeah, right. And, and it's interesting. It's, uh, 
And having the courage to take responsibility for your decisions as you making the choices rather than, you know, I once had someone tell me that they invest in a company. I was like, oh, really? Like, I, it's not an area I like. The person was like, yeah, but lots of other people are investing there now too. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, that's like, does that make you feel better when it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. That's is that, is that like, that's a good thing. The current environment is a, on the one hand, uh, money scarcer. On the other hand, there's always more money around than there are good ideas. Like always 100%. I think you will see a bunch of the pretenders on both the founders and investor side disappearing. But I, I think that actually there'll be some good stuff that comes out of it for good companies, not even good companies that everybody knows are good. But like having to, I mean, I'd be interested in your experience in this. I feel like me having to go out and raise funds or you having to go out and raise financings, you end up having to take a look at your business and where you're strong and where you're weak and figure out how to really articulate what your differentiation is, what your mission is. And it creates a clarity that ends up translating itself into how you talk to the company, how you talk to partners. Like it's a really good it's really good, I don't know, it's a litmus test, but it's a really good exercise to have to go through. One of the other things I remember is we had a situation where the, the external environment changed rapidly and an investor came back to us who'd had a, a, a handshake and they renegotiated. And on the one hand, like say, well, the, look, the situation changed. So, you know, that's okay, right? But I felt like you changed the classification, you, you know, the, what's called the bozo bit or something. <laughs> 100%. Like yeah. in your head, you were like, okay, now I know. Now I know who this person is, right? Is that... And and that's that's very you, Brian. I will say, <laughs> I will say, do you feel like you should be more willing to reverse the bozo bit? You know, when you flip it on someone, because you know maybe it was a situation, yeah. and maybe, yep. Look, I'm I'm always looking for data, right? And looking, and more so looking for data to, to contradict what I think than what I do. Like it's easy to. Anybody can walk around finding mm-hmm. data to support their assumptions and beliefs, right? Yep. Not the interesting part. Like well, going around and finding data to make you question your beliefs. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right that in my in my incessant quest for data, like, you know, you go go back to the old Maya Angelou quote. When somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Right. Now the question is. How many strikes are you out? How often do people change? Stuff like that. And so I think you do, I think you do have to, to give people a grace. Second. I think you have to give them grace. I guess my opinion would be, I think they, I think they deserve grace in equal proportions to their self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Right. And so some of it is a recognition of, it's not apology or like, oh, may a couple or wear, wear a hair shirt, but be like, people deserve 
people deserve grace on poor decisions they've made if they if they're sort of learning truth seeking machines about how do they get better because then i think they probably do change all righty brian roberts of who will forever be known as the originator of roberts rules thank you for joining us thanks for asking fun This episode was produced by Leanne Horst, Alana Coogan, and Stuart Taylor. You can find more episodes of The ACO Show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and join us next time.